Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Today is part two of the story of the prodigal son as we look at the older brother. Last week, we looked at the prodigal son and God's desire for us to live at home with the father. Uh, Today, we look at the older brother and God's love for those who wrestle with resentment. I'd like to take just a moment to look at the setting of this story within the context of Luke 15 so we can see the level of tension and drama in this story. And so we can appreciate as we go through this story, the the fearlessness and like sheer gutsiness of Jesus as a teacher. Uh, Here's the setting for all of Luke 15. This is verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Really, there are three categories of people here in the first two verses of Luke 15. Uh, There is, first of all, Jesus, who is a holy man, a devout teacher. And then secondly, there are all the sinners, the tax collectors, spiritual uh, nobodies who are flocking to Jesus. Uh, They're a despised group of people. Then there's the third category, uh, people who were thought of as spiritual giants, the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are devoted to uh, following God, yet they couldn't understand Jesus. They say this man who, who claims to be holy and teacher, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, Now, sharing a table with someone in those days was a a real serious thing. A a nobleman, for example, might feed lesser needy people as a sign of his generosity, but he would never sit down and eat with them. That that just wasn't done. Uh, To invite someone to a meal was an act of honor. Uh, It was an offer of peace and community. These religious leaders were deeply offended when Jesus shares a table with sinners. Uh, What they're saying essentially is he's watering down the faith. You know, sure, it's no wonder he's successful and he can draw lots of crowds when he kind of junks up our traditions. He's no different than they are. No wonder he's got so many people coming to him. They criticize Jesus and they hope maybe he'll be embarrassed by what they have to say. Maybe he'll uh, be apologetic and change. So this is the setting. So in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories Uh, Each one involves something that's lost. Someone loses a sheep in the first story. Uh, Someone loses a coin in the second story. And someone loses a son in the third story. Something is lost and then something is found. Uh, Jesus' listeners knew the meaning that Jesus is laying out in these stories. The sinners uh, who are with Jesus hear these stories and they say, well, that's me. That's my story. I was lost like the sheep. I was missing like the coin. I was the prodigal son in a distant country. Uh, Now I'm found. And the one who found me is Jesus. Uh, Jesus in these stories before both these sinners and these hostile religious leaders is clearly claiming to be the one searching on behalf of God. Jesus is saying in these stories to these religious grumblers, 
Not only do I not apologize for accepting these people, I tell you flat out what you see is the work of God. Now that would be dramatic enough, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He introduces another character into the third story. And if you thought things were tense before, you haven't seen anything yet. Uh, Jesus is turning up the heat here considerably. Uh, this is a deliberate in-your-face challenge. All right, so let's read the third story. The story is in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Uh, last week we read uh, the part about the prodigal son. Now we're gonna look at uh, the passage beginning in verse 25. Now remember what's going on as Jesus is telling it. Remember the setting. These sinners who say, I was lost, but now I'm found. And then these spiritual leaders who are grumbling about what Jesus is doing. All right, now we're ready for the story. The prodigal son comes home. The father has started the party to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. One of the marks of the genius of Jesus's teaching is that we find ourselves irresistibly identifying with the characters in the stories that he tells. Uh, you can learn a lot about yourself by figuring out which one of the characters you identify with. Uh, an old Sunday school story, I don't know if this ever happened, a Sunday school teacher is teaching on the prodigal son to her class and she says to the class, but there is one for whom the return of the prodigal son brings no joy and celebration. There is one who experiences only disappointment and bitterness and resentment. And who was this? One of the kids raises his hand and says, the fattened calf? <laughs> I don't know if it happened. If it didn't happen, it should have. We learn a lot about who we identify with. And what I have to say now, I say kind of as a way of confession, which is I understand about the older brother. I'm the older son in my family. And I know what it is to live to please my parents and to want to be a model son and to want to have my teachers and coaches be proud of me and to try to do the right thing and say the right thing and to want to have people think well of me as they must have thought and spoken so well of this older brother who after all did not run off to a distant land and squander the property, but stayed home and worked with the father. I understand I think a fair amount about the older brother who generally tried to do right things. I usually dated, if I dated at all, the right girls and I chose to go to the right schools and I entered the right profession. Uh, I did not run off to a distant country, at least not outwardly. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, I went to Lane Tech High School. And when I was in high school in Chicago, the distant country was not too far away. 
Uh, it was anywhere you could get drugs or alcohol, uh, which in my case was a guy in my woodshop class. Uh, I didn't go to the distant country. I knew a lot of prodigal sons and daughters that did, and I would lament over their superficiality sometimes. I would pray for them in the church youth group sometimes. Part of the reason I didn't want to go to the distant country is because I really did want to do the right thing. But the truth is, part of the reason I didn't is just that I didn't have the courage to do the kind of things that they were doing. Part of me was genuinely concerned for the prodigal sons and daughters around me, and part of me just felt kind of superior to them, and a part of me envied them. I had all these sexual feelings that any young male adolescent has, and if you've never been a young male sexual adolescent, there's a lot of feelings, uh, but I didn't talk about them very much. Uh, I would often kind of pretend like I was above them. I remember being in our youth group discussing behavioral issues and feeling a sense of superiority. Of course, the irony is that right in the midst of all that, there was this kind of uh, judgmental self-righteousness inside of me. Jesus' first command is to love, love God and love people. The, the judgment and self-righteousness kept me from obeying that first command. That meant in the most serious way, I was spiritually sicker than the people I considered myself superior to. I understand something about the older brother. And I say that because it's kind of an odd thing, but when you decide to come home, when you decide to stop being the prodigal son, one of two things will happen to you. Either you will become like the father or you will become like the older brother. It's actually a fairly hard thing to stop being the prodigal son and not turn into the older brother. And I love you too much for that to happen. So today, we're gonna get real clear about the heart of the older brother. And maybe you're gonna be called today to come home to the father just as others were called last week. I'd like to ask you as I teach this message to look real seriously at your heart and ask God to identify and begin to remove any remnants of this kind of older brother syndrome from your life. All right, here's the story. The older brother has been working in the fields uh, as he generally does, and as he approaches the house, there's a party going on. Now, if all were well in the heart of the son, he would immediately enter into the party and enter into the joy, uh, whatever the source of the joy was. But he's suspicious from the very beginning. And so he asks someone outside, what's going on? And that someone tells him, your brothers come back and your fathers killed the fattened calf. And what this meant was so much food was involved that the implication was this is a party for the whole village. There would be a feasting and music and dancing that would go on into the night. But then Jesus says about the older brother in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. We're gonna talk about three marks of the older brother syndrome today. And the first mark of this older brother syndrome is chronic resentment. Uh, this kind of anger is not explosive. It's, it's often not even revealed, but it's the kind of anger that paralyzes and chokes what once may have been a generous heart. 
This older son resented his brother for leaving in the first place. And then he resented him for repenting. And then he resented his father for taking him back. And then he resented all the people for coming to the party. This resentment manifested itself, as it always does, in a refusal to enter into joy. There is a sense in which the primary theme, or at least a major theme in Luke 15, is the theme of joy. Let's look at it real quick. In the first story, Jesus tells, a shepherd finds his sheep and says in verse 5, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. So now it's the shepherd's uh, friends and neighbors. And then Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's joy with the shepherd, joy uh, with his friends and neighbors and joy in heaven. Same thing in the next story. A woman looks for a lost coin. Jesus says, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the next story, this prodigal son who's far away and he comes back home and the father embraces him and he gives him a ring and a robe and shoes. And he says, bring the fat and the calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Shepherds, neighbors, friends, heaven, women, neighbors, friends, angels of God, like father, son, the, the village, everyone enters into joy all through this whole chapter, except one person. The older brother has no joy. There's a party going on and the father has his servants and the whole village there. And the person the father would most expect to be joyful is the one joyless person in the whole bunch. And the son refuses to go in. Now, this is much more serious to Jesus listeners than we might realize. As the older son, uh, the older brother would have a kind of semi-official responsibility to be joint host with the father at a public gathering like this. Mingle with guests, you know, make sure everyone had enough food and so on. He would be expected to do this. And then if he had some arguments with his father, he would be expected to bring those to the father later in private. private. Uh, but at a minimum, he would serve as a joint host. Coming to a banquet when you're called was a serious obligation. So when this brother refuses to go in, I mean, this is a highly dramatic action to Jesus's listeners. He deliberately, openly chooses to expose his father to public humiliation. And everyone would notice and talk about this. Jesus' listeners would expect the father to be furious. And he had every right to be furious. I mean, he could simply order his son into the house. He didn't have to reason with his son. Uh, and if you're a parent, you understand this. When I was a kid and I tried to get out of doing something my parents wanted me to do, I would often say to them, why? You know, why do I have to do this thing that you're telling me to do? And they might reason with me for a little while, but eventually when they got tired of my uh, evasions or couldn't think of any other reason why, they would fall back on the appeal to power and authority. They would use the same phrase that all parents have used since Adam and Eve. Why do I have to do what you're telling me? Because I said so. 
Uh, I hated that when I was a kid. I swore I would never say it. Uh, now I have children of my own and in 15 years of parenting, that's like my favorite saying. Uh, the father could just order his son, get in the house because I said so. And the son would probably have gone. The son understands about orders. But you see, the father does not want another hired servant. God does not want external obedience. He wants a right heart. And that cannot be forced. And that cannot be given grudgingly. There's a door to your heart and you hold the key. God himself will not force that door open. So the father goes out in humble love, even though he could have gone out in judgment. He goes out in humble love, just as he went out to the first son. And Jesus is kind of comparing here, just as he goes out to the first son in humble love, when we expect judgment and anger, he goes out to the second son in humble love. And he pleads, uh, although he wouldn't have had to do that. No one would expect him to but the son will not go in. And the truth is, in a strange way, he enjoys his resentment. I mean, he likes torturing himself, sitting out on the front porch, listening to the music, not going inside. It feeds his sense of self-righteous superiority. I'll tell you how resentment works for those of you who wrestle with this older brother syndrome. I read some time ago about a method that's used in the very far north in the Arctic for killing wolves. Uh, hunters will take a slab of raw meat and impale it on a sharp knife and, and leave it out. And a wolf will come and begin to eat it aggressively and they, they'll eat it even though they're close to the knife. Uh, they'll just continue to eat and the wolf will begin to cut its own tongue and mouth on the sharp knife. Uh, but because of the cold and because the wolf is in such a frenzy over its greed for food and because it tastes blood and that excites the wolf, it doesn't realize the blood it's consuming is its own. And it'll go on in this frenzy until it cuts itself so badly that it bleeds to death, destroyed by its own appetite for blood. Frederick Buchner writes this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, or roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations. To savor to the last, the last twosome morsel the pain that you are given and the pain that you were giving back, in many ways, is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And so here sits the older brother. There's a party going on and all those who are seeking to live in the kingdom of God are at the party. And those who have learned and are learning to let go of resentments, learning to practice forgiveness, learning to live in a truth-filled grace and mercy, they're at the party. There's a party going on. It's how Jesus describes the kingdom of God. And maybe you're sitting on the front porch and resentment is eating you away right now and you won't go in. Maybe you have a parent that didn't live up to your needs as no parent does, or a spouse who hurt you as every spouse will, or a child who disappointed you as every child has or a wound from your work, or a wound from a previous job or previous church. 
The truth is, as you know in your heart, you are enjoying the resentment. The resentment. It feeds your sense of righteous superiority. I'll tell you as plainly as I know how, you are at the knife right now. And little by little, joy and mercy and graciousness and patience is being bled out of you. And so I'm asking you now, will you let go of resentment? Will you begin to forgive? And if you can't do that, will you ask God for the grace to begin to forgive? If there's someone that you need to talk to, to extend forgiveness to, will you talk to them? Will you do it now? Will you make a phone call today if you have to? Will you uh, get to see them this week as soon as you can? There's a spirit of resentment in this son. The father comes out and pleads with him, but he won't go in. And we'll look at the next mark of this older brother syndrome in just a moment. When Matt just asked, will you let go of resentment or will you begin to forgive? What was your reaction? Was yours internal, shocked at the very thought of letting go of something you've been holding for so long? Maybe yours was external, like you literally said something out loud. How can I, or I could never forgive them for what they did or didn't do. Resentments can lay deep foundations when you give them fertile soil within you. I thought this week of Nelson Mandela, a man who had every reason to resent those who imprisoned him for 27 years. But listen to what he said upon his release. As I walked out the door toward my freedom, I knew that if I did not leave all the anger, hatred, and bitterness behind, that I would be in prison. He realized that if he held on to resentment, he was simply trading one prison for another. He was echoing the words of the Apostle Paul, who in his letter to the church in Ephesus wrote, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God forgave you. Your journey to forgive may start by asking God for the grace to begin or by practicing small acts of forgiveness in everyday situations. But no matter how deep your resentment goes, forgiveness is the path to freedom, just as God has freed you from the power of sin in your life through his grace. Throughout the story of God and humanity in the Bible, there's an inseparable link between our receiving God's forgiveness and our willingness and ability to grant that forgiveness to others. So look to God to free you from the resentment that has imprisoned you and extend forgiveness as a way to unlock the prison door it has held you behind. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue our look at the older brother. All right, the next thing we notice in verse 29 is a spirit of chronic complaining. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now, the first striking thing here is he does not address his dad as father. Uh, titles of respect were very important in those days. 
Now, if you notice in, in, the, in the first part of the story, even the prodigal son, each time he speaks to address his dad, he addresses him as father. But this son comes to his father with no respect. He launches into his complaint. You know, all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. Now there's rich irony here in Jesus' story. You know, and I've never disobeyed a single command. And he really thinks that sh- that's true. He says, he says this even though he uh, just publicly humiliated his father by refusing to go into the party. He says this even though he's defying his father's deepest will, which is that uh, he ought to love his brother and throw his arms around his brother. I've never disobeyed a single command, he says. And the truth is, he's never really obeyed one, not from his heart, which is what really matters. He doesn't know a thing about obedience. He understands conformity. He knows about following orders. He knows nothing of the obedience that comes from a loving heart. He's so blind, the son. All these years, I've been working like a slave for you. And there's so much irony here. The prodigal son, remember when he was going to come back, he decided that he would be a hired servant, a hired slave, but he's so overwhelmed by the father's love, he gives up on that project and becomes his son. Here, the son stayed home. He's done the right thing all these years, but he's not a son. He's a slave. It's unfair, he says. This son of yours comes back. He gets a fattened calf. He gets big wages for doing bad. I get no wages for doing good. It's unfair. This is the heart of the older brother. He'll go through his life as a perpetual, unappreciated victim in his eyes. And so I'd like to ask you to consider this question. Is there a spirit of chronic complaint in you? I think of the man who's been a Christian for many years, struggled with being a pastor, kind of felt unfulfilled in it. And then he saw another man who for many years lived as a prodigal son, came home to the father, repented, and became a Christ follower. And this other man, this former prodigal, entered into ministry and found great success. And the first man said, you know, I've walked the straight and narrow my whole life. Where did it get me? This guy, you know, messed up, bad decisions. Now he comes to God for forgiveness and he has this great ministry and I'm struggling. It's not fair. That's the older brother syndrome. You see, the older brother secretly thinks the prodigal son had more fun. He secretly believes or at least suspects that life is better in a distant country. He says to himself, if I've got to be home with the father, if I have to walk the straight and narrow, if I'm going to give up all that fun, I better get compensated. Instead of rejoicing at God's goodness to another person, the older brother compares it to his situation. If anyone is happier or more successful or has a richer relational life or a more flourishing job than me, I cry unfair. I don't know how else to say this. This is really the most miserable way to live. And there's a party going on. It's the kingdom of God and it's at work in secret ways here on this earth. And it's made up of all those who have learned and are learning how to rejoice with those who rejoice, who learn to celebrate the good fortune of others, to to live with the joyful heart of the Father, welcoming those who come home. Maybe you're listening today and you're sitting on the outside, uh, on the front step, and you refuse to come in. 
And you're bitter because someone else has gotten the breaks that you're so sure ought to come to you. The question today is, will you learn to rejoice with those who rejoice? Will you learn the discipline of gratitude to be grateful for your life and your gifts and your work and your relationships and the church that God has given you and the Bible that God has given you and the, the salvation that God offers to you? Will you be grateful for your life? Because if you won't, you'll never be grateful at all. Will you learn to rejoice with people who rejoice? Will you look for people uh, that you can rejoice with this week? Maybe it's someone who has repented. Maybe it's someone in your life who's had a, a tremendous success at work. Maybe it's someone who's in a relationship that brings great love and joy. Maybe it's someone whose children accomplish something that's remarkable. And instead of thinking, why can't that be me? Will you come to the party? Will you throw your arms around them, write them a note, congratulate them, rejoice with them? Will you have the heart of the father or will you have the heart of the older brother? All right, now there's a third characteristic of the heart of the older brother and it's a spirit of judgmentalism. Look at verse 30. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Uh, notice the phrase he uses to refer to the prodigal son, this son of yours, not this brother of mine. We do this, don't we? Uh, parents do this kind of thing. A kid does something, you know, great. And well, that's my boy, you know, kid does something bad. Well, that's son of yours, you know, son of yours is a phrase that would be said by someone who is outside the family. Someone who is a stranger would say to the father, how is your son? And that's what the older brother is doing here. He's speaking as if he were not part of the family. He's renouncing his brotherhood the son of yours. Judgment is not just when someone points out what someone else is doing wrong. I mean, that's not judgment. I've had people point out things that are wrong in me, uh, sometimes several times a day, but I know they're for me. I know they want me to grow and to flourish. Judging is when you speak from a distance and you feel no compassion. You have no obligation to help and you secretly enjoy the failure of the other person. You enjoy the experience of righteous indignation. You would point yourself to be the watchdog for what is right. You adopt this posture of suspicion. You, uh, you are going to be the judge. I remember when Kathy and I were in Ethiopia to adopt our daughter, Amran, uh, we stayed in a hotel with a bunch of other couples who were also adopting. And one couple was from Mobile, Alabama, uh, and when we found, when they found out that we were Christians, and particularly that I was a pastor, they asked me, how do you start a church in California where there are no Christians out there? <laughs> There's just something inside of us that wants to judge those who are not like us. The older brother's doing that. He assumes the worst. In the older brother syndrome, you project the worst onto other people. Notice what happened. Look again at verse 30. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Uh, this is a real interesting part of Jesus' story. Uh, where in the first part of Jesus' story did he mention prostitutes? He never did. He said the prodigal son squandered the money on wild living. Uh, there are various translations, but uh, no mention of prostitutes. Where did that come from? 
the older brother just threw that in. Maybe he's thinking what he would have done if he would have been the prodigal son. Maybe he just wants to paint as bad a picture as he possibly can. You see, there's a party going on right now, and it's made up of those who have learned what Jesus meant when he said, judge not. Just give up the whole business of trying to straighten everyone else out. There is a party going on of people who recognize their fallenness and have entered into the community of forgiven sinners. And they're struggling and they're battling against sin. And as brothers and sisters, they're helping each other to do it with truth and with grace. There's a party going on for those who have learned what Jesus meant when he said, judge not. And maybe you're sitting on the front step and you won't go in. And the truth is, you enjoy being the judge and the jury. You may mask it with an air of piety. You may sound kind of uh, religious and, you know, on the surface, try to sound fairly positive or laugh fairly frequently. But the truth is, there is kind of a negative judgmental spirit in you that surfaces and is toxic. Maybe you gossip behind people's back. You just reflexively find fault with those around you. Passing judgment has become such a habit, you don't even realize it. There's a cutting comment behind almost everything you say. The question for you is, will you resign today as judge of the universe? Will you confess the judgmental spirit that's going on inside of your heart that not only sees wrong, but feels no compassion, no warmth, no obligation to help, kind of enjoys passing judgment? Will you accept your position as another prodigal son or daughter who needs to come home? That's all you are. That's the heart of the older brother. And I know about that heart. But then the father talks to the older brother just as he talked to the prodigal son. Look at verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father kind of overlooks all the insults that his son has leveled at him. And even though his son did not address him as father, he gives his son this title, my son. It's a very tender word. Jesus could have used a, a more common word for son. The word he used was a word that was used for a little child. It's a very tender word. My child, the father says to his child, who couldn't call him my father, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You remember the younger son took his share. Now, everything that's left, all that's there, the father says, it's all yours, son. Like every calf and every goat, every door, every nail. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And what the father is saying is, do you not realize that to live at home with me, to live in my love, to share all the, all the, all the things with me, to partner together throughout life, I mean, these are the greatest gifts. The father says to his son what the father says to you and what the father says to me right now. What I've been offering you all these years is me. And if living at home with me is not enough, then all the parties and all the properties and all the, the goats in the world will not be enough. Every time your brother uh, is in the limelight, every time someone else is celebrated, it's gonna choke out your heart. The father is infinitely gracious with his son. And yet at the same time, he's infinitely firm. He will not apologize and he will not stop the party. You know what the older son is after? 
He wants his father to feel really bad about what he's doing and call the party off and punish the prodigal son, but the father will not do that. The older son is not allowed that kind of power. You see, God longs for a church where prodigal sons can just come on in and the people who are inside just embrace them. They just embrace them. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This brother of yours, the father says. In other words, you're still family. It's not too late. You can still live as my beloved son. You can still enter the party as his rejoicing brother. The father says, for so long I lived in sorrow over a lost son. For so long I kept looking every day to see if he would return. Now that I have him back, must I lose another? And then there's silence. The father looks into the eyes of his son, the older brother. What does he see? Confusion? Sorrow? Hurt? Anger? We don't know. Now picture picture Jesus' listeners, all of the drama and the tension in this moment. Some of them are filled with joy because, you know, as they've heard the story, they think, well, that's me. You know, I was the one who was lost and now I'm back home. He says that I've come home and, and God Almighty is throwing this huge party for me. Some of them are burning with anger because when he talked about the older brother, they knew exactly who he was talking about. All of them stand there like with bated breath, waiting to see what Jesus will say next. What's the older brother going to do? How will it end? And then Jesus just stops at the climax of the story and he walks away. In the next chapter, Luke 16, we find he's talking to a different audience, just, just his disciples. He never finishes the story. Why doesn't he finish it? Well, it's not because he couldn't think of an ending. I mean, he's the the greatest teacher, the wisest teller of stories who ever lived. It's because the ending had yet to be written. It's because all those listeners to Jesus would have to decide. And just like now, you and I have to decide. The story will end one of two ways in your life. One is that the older brother turns away from his father. He returns to the field. He works in coldness and bitterness of heart, and he never goes into the house again. He did his work. Maybe he followed the rules, but he would never be in the house, and he would never understand the love of the father. He would grow to hate his brother, and he would secretly grow to hate his father. And when he died, he would die all alone. The story could end that way. Or it could end like this. It could end that the older brother, after seeing the love of his father, falls to his knees and his hard heart is broken and made tender. And he came and he entered into the house and there was this skinny young brother, wasted figure, you know, with a tear-stained face. And he remembered how once they grew up together and how they explored and they played and they fought and they worked and they loved each other. And he thought that his brother had been lost forever, but now they would never be apart, never again their whole life long. And his heart explodes with love and he throws his arms around his brother and he doesn't let him go. And he joins in the celebration and he laughs louder and he sings longer and he dances faster and he cries harder than anyone in the house. The two sons are reconciled to their father. 
and the celebration goes on to this day. How does the story end? It's up to you. All right, let me pray, and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. Uh, God, I pray for those who are dealing with resentment right now, this older brother syndrome. I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts, uh, help us to see the prodigal sons in our lives the way you see them, with grace and with love and with care. Um, Help us to let down our pride and help us to just put our arms around those who come home to you and accept them and to love them and to to join in the party and have joy uh, for what you're doing in their lives. God, some of us really need to deal with this resentment because we have this complaining spirit, because we have this judgmental spirit and it's toxic. It's hurting us and it's leaking out and it's hurting other people around us. God, help us to do the work that's needed to examine our hearts and just to release it to you and to continue to pray this prayer that you would mold us, that you would shape us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to see people through your eyes. God, would you do that in us this week? Continue to work in us. Help us to remember this story and to reflect on who we are in this story and to grow as a result of it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.